Good morning. It's great to be here with you. I'm really loving just being with you guys. I've really enjoyed this morning. I enjoyed um, last night. I got to spend a little bit of time um, with Rob and Alison and some others. And so it's really great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, those of you who've got Bibles, in a little while we'll get to Matthew 9. So I'll just give you the heads up um, so that if you want to get ready for that, that will be coming up in a bit. But I just wanted to start by telling you a story about a friend of mine. Um, turns out actually a friend of Steve's as well. I didn't know that until yesterday. Um, So a friend of mine called Jo, um, just over six years ago, died in a car accident. She was cycling to work. She was 34 years old. She was cycling to work. She worked for a church and she was hit by um, a a truck, basically by a lorry. She was uh, reversed over by this truck and the driver of the truck was arrested for causing death by dangerous driving and he really didn't have any excuses for what had happened he had um you know those mirrors that have the extra bit on so you haven't got a blind spot but in addition to that he had a camera so there was no blind spot behind him he should have been able to see fully behind him there were also other drivers who were um yelling at him from their cars and honking their horns but he was completely completely oblivious obviously he didn't do it deliberately but he just wasn't paying attention and he didn't know it was happening until it was too late and so he was yeah arrested for causing death by dangerous driving he said that you know he was guilty when it came to court and the judge said to him I need to warn you that when we come back for sentencing you are facing a custodial sentence you are going to be going to prison after the judge said that My friend Joe's parents wrote to the judge and they explained that they were Christians and they said to the judge, we would like you to show mercy to the driver. We don't see any benefit in him going to prison. We don't see what difference that will make. It won't bring Joe back. And so they wrote this letter and because of the letter that they wrote, the judge decided not to send the driver to prison. The driver still lost his license. There were consequences for his actions. But the judge said to him that because of this letter that Joe's parents, he actually read the letter out and he said, because of this, um, I'm going to show you the mercy that they've asked me to show you. And local and national newspaper headlines ran this story because it's so rare to see that kind of mercy in action. One of them, I think it was the Daily Mail, had the headline, Death Driver Shown Mercy. And one of the things that I think is even more astonishing is one of the things the judge said to the driver, he said this, he said, Joe's parents have recognised how this has affected you. What an astonishing thing that in the middle of their grief, in the middle of this heartbreak, they've lost their only daughter, they've got a son as well, but they've lost their only daughter, and they're thinking about how it's affected the driver. This kind of mercy, this kind of forgiveness, this kind of compassion um, in the middle of someone's heartbreak is so astonishing that national newspapers write about it. And I think one of the things I think is really sad is that the word mercy isn't really used in our society today. In fact, I was talking um, to a non-Christian friend of mine about the fact that I get to go and speak on mercy a lot. And the first thing she said to me was, um, well, the word mercy, I, I don't really, isn't that a Christian word? She said, it's not really a word I hear. It is a Christian word, and I'm going to come to that because I think we are uniquely placed to bring mercy to other people. But I think it's also a sad thing because imagine the difference it would make in our society if the word mercy was not only more on people's lips, but actually more in their hearts. 
Imagine what politics would look like. Imagine what football... (laughs) Sorry, couldn't resist that one. Imagine what business would look like. Imagine what education and healthcare and prisons and the judicial system. It would look completely different if actually mercy was at the heart of all these things. But I've hardly ever heard a politician or a celebrity or a journalist talk about mercy other than in the context of being astonished at it when we see it in action. But actually, for the church, we should be characterised and defined by this word, mercy. Because actually, mercy is one of the things that sets us apart from the world around us. We are uniquely called to be those who bring mercy when other people don't bring mercy. To bring mercy to those who don't deserve That's by its very nature, mercy is an undeserved thing. And so the driver who killed my friend Joe, he had no right to ask for mercy. In fact, he didn't ask for it. He didn't expect it. But actually, we are those who get to bring mercy to those who have no right. We we are called to be those who show mercy to the people that our society would write off and would despise. The church, we are called to be those who sit side by side with people that we might dislike, we might distrust, we might think we have nothing whatsoever in common with them. But actually, that is what the church, that is the glorious wisdom of God, that he is creating for himself a people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every um, position in society, every class, every type of person, every type of brokenness, coming together to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as one people in unity together. That is the glory of the gospel, that we get to come together. And mercy is when we get let off the hook for something we actually deserve to be punished for. That's what mercy is. It's when the punishment we deserve is diverted away from us. And for those of us here who know Jesus, that's that's what we live. That's what we celebrate. That's what we're in the good of, that we are living as those who deserved a punishment that has been diverted onto someone else, that we have been shown mercy. It is outrageous and it's really radical. And sometimes if we've been Christians for a long time, we can forget that it's scandalous, that for most people it's really hard to understand. You know, the Bible says God does not treat us as our sins deserve. Aren't you glad? I'm so glad that God has not treated me as my sins deserve. But it's more than that. It's not just about getting away with something. It's Mercy is loving kindness in action. It is an active thing. The Bible said that God, says that God rises to show us compassion. God isn't sitting there kind of just waiting. He is active in his pursuit of us. He's active in bringing mercy to us. He is actively doing good to people who don't deserve an ounce of goodness from him. One um, dictionary definition of mercy is this. It says it's the disposition to be compassionate. And this amazing God that we've been worshipping, he has this disposition of being compassionate. That means it's his natural inclination, it's his tendency, it's the default setting of his heart. 
is to be compassionate towards us. And that's what we're called to as well. But often, even for those of us who know Jesus and have been walking with him for a long time, we can find that actually this doesn't come naturally to us. That the natural disposition of my heart, if I'm honest with you, is often I find it much easier to judge people. I find it much easier to be critical about people. I find it much easier to say, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way. You got yourself in a right situation there, didn't you, with the bad decisions you made? Yeah, should have done it this way. Actually, that's not what God has called me to. God has called me to be working towards becoming more like Jesus and having this natural tendency to increasingly have this default setting of being compassionate. You know, in Luke 6, Jesus says the sort of people that God is kind to. And it's really shocking because I don't know about you, but I find it really easy to be kind to people who are kind to me. You know, you see that sort of thing. If you're on Facebook or other types of social media, you see all the time people post things like you show me respect and I'll show you respect. You be kind to me and I'll be kind to you. I saw once where it said, um, don't cross an ocean for someone who wouldn't cross a puddle for you. And I thought, that's, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, don't cross an ocean for someone who wouldn't cross a puddle for you. Sounds good. It's totally unbiblical. Yeah. Actually, do cross an ocean for someone who won't cross a puddle for you, because that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. And so in Luke 6, it says that God is kind to who? To the ungrateful and to the wicked. I think that's so... That's so weird, isn't it, for us? God is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. I find it really hard to be kind to the ungrateful. I mean, we might all think, you know, the wicked, we we all find it hard to be unkind to. But actually, even the ungrateful. You ever done that thing where you hold a door open for someone and they don't say thank you? And if you're anything like me, what rises up in my heart is I actually want to slam the door in their face. (laughs) Sorry, it's a public confession. You guys can pray for me later for, you know, my sins. But but I do. Or if you're in your car and you let someone go and they don't just do the polite little hand wave at you I sometimes go (laughs) just you know I'm not always particularly godly in my responses to the ungrateful I'm certainly not often kind to the ungrateful except by the grace of God and that he's working on my heart and making me more like Jesus Um, and that's exactly the reason that my friend Joe's parents were able to show kindness to this guy who didn't deserve it is because they were so aware of the mercy of God on their own lives. And we see this so clearly in the life of Jesus, that he was so merciful in everything he did, everyone he interacted with. He was characterised by it. And one of the ways I think we see it most clearly is by who he spent his time with, who he associated with. So if you've got Matthew 9, um, gave you a long time to find it, so hopefully you're there. Um, don't worry, it's quite a, it's only a few verses I'm going to read, so if you haven't got a Bible, don't worry. But Matthew 9, starting in verse 9, it says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. 
go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, this is a kind of simple story, and many of us, if you're a Christian here and you're familiar with your Bible, this is a story we'd be familiar with, and it's only a few verses, so we'd probably kind of skate on from it pretty quickly. We can miss how shocking it was that Jesus called Matthew to follow him. Tax collectors were despised by pretty much everyone in that society. They, they were those who the Jewish people would, felt, would have felt had sold out and were working for the Romans who were their oppressors. They were seen as, the Romans were seen as the oppressive enemy. And the way that it worked was that tax collectors had to collect a certain amount of money for the Romans, but how they made money was they would top it up and put on some extra so that they could make some money as well. It's a bit like if you imagine today with parking attendants, if the way they made their money was they could add on whatever they wanted to the top of the bill. Imagine how many parking tickets we'd get and how extortionate they'd be. I mean, maybe they already are, you know, I won't go into that too much. But in terms of tax collectors, they were hated by the Jewish community because they were seen as traitors. They were seen as those who had betrayed their own people Basically, to make money, they were thought of as thieves and traitors, stealing from their own people and giving to their enemy and keeping it and hoarding it for themselves. Matthew himself was a wealthy tax collector. And we know that partly because we know that his home was big enough to throw a banquet for many people to come and recline at the table with Jesus. Now, that wouldn't have been common in this time unless you had a lot of money. It would have been shocking for Jesus to call Matthew and it would have actually been offensive to other Jews. I, I like to think, imagine what I would have felt. Um, I would have, if I'd been one of the fishermen who Jesus had called to himself, I think I'd have been like, yeah, no, I get Jesus. You want to kind of, you're a carpenter. You want to interact with um, fishermen. But then he calls this tax collector. And for someone like Peter... The chances are he would have been exploited either by Matthew or by someone like him. And suddenly Jesus is saying, come on, you're my disciples. We're going to hang out together for three years. We're going to be friends together. I wonder what that was like being alongside Matthew. I also think it's really interesting that Matthew was the one among the disciples who had the experience of handling money. Yet he wasn't the one they trusted with the money in his group. They, they gave it to Judas, which didn't go so well either. But, <laughs> but actually, you think, if you're in a group of 12 and one of you's got experience of working with money, why wouldn't they give the money to Matthew? Yeah. Now, I'm not trying to put anything in the Bible that isn't there. It doesn't tell us why. But I just find that a really fascinating thing because I think, naturally speaking, I think, well, why wouldn't you give the money to Matthew? You know, it's one thing for Jesus to call people like fishermen, you know, sort of the earth types, hardworking men who, yeah, people would have just said, yeah, you're earning an honest living, you're working hard, um, you're the sort of the earth. But it's quite another for Jesus to choose and to call the most despised people of the day and not only associate with them, but actually be friends with them. And there's a provocation for us in this as the church. Are we actually friends with the people that no one else wants to hang out with? How do we feel? We've been on a journey in my church in Hastings because I remember about 10 years ago, um, a particular woman who came to my church, um, she had, I think, four children and all of them smelt really, really bad. 
And what you would see on a Sunday is that they would sit down and other people would get up and they would move. Because, you know, you've got to sit next to someone for an hour and a half, two hours, and their clothes would be filthy. And people would move. Praise God, my church, that wouldn't happen now. I'm pretty confident that that would be a very rare thing to happen in my church now. But there is a provocation for us. The very people society despises. I think of this every time there is a terrorist attack in this country. I pray, God, let Christians surround the Muslims in their communities and extend friendship and grace and mercy to them. Because while the rest of society is running away from people and saying, this is your fault, you've done this. Let Christians be the one who run, ones who run in with the mercy of God, the mercy we've been shown, because the Bible says we were saved when we were still enemies of God, that he came to us not when we were jumping up and down going, pick me, Jesus, I want to follow you, but when we were enemies, when our hearts were hard, when we were running as hard and fast away from God as we could. That's my story. I became a Christian when I was 15 and I wasn't looking for God. I know some people are. Some people really <laughs> seek after God. I wasn't. I wasn't interested. I was one of those people who was like a zealous atheist. Like if I wanted to convert anyone to anything, it would have been converting Christians and people of other faiths to have no faith. I was very zealous in my atheism. I was very angry with a God that I didn't believe in. You know the types? I was one of those. I was a joy to be around. Um, Imagine what it was like when I became a Christian. I was just as much of a joy. Um, But you know, actually, God's heart is for those that no one else cares about. God's heart is for those that no one else has a heart for. And that is what we, those who follow Jesus, we get gloriously caught up in this mission to bring mercy to those that society would go, but don't you know what they've done? That's what the Pharisees were saying. Why does your teacher eat with these people? It's a bit. Other times they said, does he know who he's eating with? Jesus knew exactly who he was eating with. He knew exactly who he was eating with. You know, if it wasn't offensive and shocking enough that Jesus extended this mercy to Matthew, he then goes to eat in his house with a load of people just like Matthew. Because Matthew wouldn't really have had any friends among the nice, decent people of the day. All of Matthew's friends would have just been exactly like Matthew. They're described as sinners and tax collectors. You know, if he was hated by his own people, the only people he was likely to have friend, be friends with would have been those who were just like him. And here we see Jesus eating with these people. Commentaries will tell us that sinners, those called sinners, would have been thieves, gamblers, pimps, prostitutes, people like that. People not that we'd expect the holy God we've been singing about to want anything to do with. And yet Jesus is sitting down and eating with them. And, you know, the mercy of Jesus wasn't just to say uh, to Matthew, wasn't just to say, come follow me and I will help you change. That's part of it, but that's not the whole story. It's not a formal arrangement where Matthew gets to be around Jesus for three years, but at arm's length. Jesus saying, you can come and look from a, just follow me, stay there, but follow me and you can see what I do. And then when you change and when you're, when you've seen how to behave and seen what I'm like, then, then, then you get mercy. It wasn't that at all. It was Jesus saying, I want to come into your home and I want to eat with you. I want to hang out with your friends. I want to be friends with you and I want to get to know your friends and come on, let's all just hang out together. It's radical mercy. It's outrageous. It's shown to a guy that no one else would have picked. And if I'm honest with you, I don't think I would have picked Matthew. 
I get the privilege of often going to churches and speaking on God's heart for the poorest and the most vulnerable and the oppressed. And if I'm honest with you, that means that I find it harder to show mercy to the wealthy, to those who exploit the poorest, to those who make their money on the backs of exploiting other people and pushing them into poverty. Those who seem to not care that decisions they make adversely affect some of those who are most in need. I don't think I would have wanted to show mercy to Matthew. I think if I'd walked past Matthew's house and I'd looked in through a window and I'd seen who um, Jesus was sitting there eating with him, I'd have wanted to go in like the Pharisees and go, Jesus, do you do you know what you're doing here? You're not with the right people. I'm like, let me just let me tell you who you should be hanging out with, Jesus. And, And if we're not careful so often, even for those who are of us who have known the outrageous mercy of God, we can have this same attitude of the Pharisees where we can be like, Jesus. It doesn't make sense. What You don't know what that person's done. Jesus knew exactly who he was eating with. And, you know, I do feel a little bit, we, we can so easily judge the Pharisees, can't we? We can so easily look at them and go, oh, yeah, they're bad, bad people. But you know what? They were those who were trying to follow the law of God. They were those who, um, whatever their motivation, were trying to follow God's ways. They felt they were those who were supposed to know God. But what Jesus did wasn't ordinary. What Jesus did wasn't wasn't kind of right according to the law. He was mixing with those who, if they touched him, it made, meant he became unclean. It meant he became like them. So this come follow me wasn't so much come follow me and, and you'll become like me. It was come follow me and I'm going to be just like you. I'm not going to be afraid to be touched by you. I'm not going to be afraid to eat in your house. One commentator says this, for Jesus and his disciples to eat with such people was scandalous. It meant they were accepting these tax collectors and identifying with them and with sinners. Yet this characterized Jesus' ministry. The criticism was natural as they were rendering themselves unclean and violators of the Torah by their association with such people. You know, I find it very easy to love the Jesus who mixes with the poor and with the sinner because I can identify with that. I find it harder to be keen on the Jesus who says, I want the tax collector to come. And for some of us, it'll be the other way around. Some of us will think, I love the Jesus who will eat with the tax collector because I can more readily identify with someone who's uh, maybe made a lot of money, maybe been quite wealthy. But I find it harder to identify with the Jesus who calls maybe the prostitutes. You think, Jesus, that, can that be right? If we're really honest, I think all of us have certain groups of people that we would find it hard to accept that Jesus has mercy towards. For some of us, it's like I've already touched on, it might just be those who are ungrateful for our help. I've been hearing about the amazing thing you're doing with the children's storehouse, and I got to see it this morning. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. And one of the things Alison was saying to me is how some of the, you know, some of the people who come, it's incredible because you see their faces and they light up and they're like, what, this is really free? We really get to take it? Imagine, though, if someone comes in and they just like, yeah, I want that. I want that. Haven't you got this in a bigger size? All right, what else can I have? Something in our hearts, something in my heart, reacts very differently 
when that happens, I find it very difficult to want to show mercy to the ungrateful. I want people to be grateful. I want people to say thank you. And some people don't. But you know what? God loves them and his mercy is for them just as much as for the person who is grateful. You know, for some of us, it might even be people in our own families or in our own churches who have been so hurtful to us, who have said things to us that we think. And then they come and bring a contribution on a Sunday morning and we think the leaders seem to think they're amazing, but they don't realise what they've done and how they've hurt me or how they wouldn't serve on this team or how they were really lazy or how they didn't turn up for something. Actually, we can so often so quickly want to be unmerciful even to those in our own congregations, in our own families so often. Maybe it's a work colleague who takes the credit for the work that you've done. Or maybe it's the work colleague who's just really lazy and doesn't pull their weight. And actually, it can be so easy for us. You know, if you're in a work environment where people are saying, oh, my goodness, that person, they, again, they didn't get their work done. Again, I had to pick up the pieces. It's so easy for us sometimes to enter into those conversations with the same unmerciful attitude. And God is calling us to be different, to be distinctive, to be different to those around us. We can imagine, you know, there are certain people, and, and this, is, this is a hard thing to say, and I don't say it flippantly, but even for some of us where we have been um, told by maybe even parents or family members that we're hated, that we weren't wanted, or we've been abused. If you try and think about the person who has most hurt you in your life and then imagine you walk past a house and you see Jesus eating with them. It's offensive. It's outrageous. I can think of people in my life where I would want to run in and say to Jesus, you don't know what they've done. You don't know how much pain they have caused. And they didn't even care. And now you're eating with them. But this is the gospel. And it is offensive and it is scandalous. But for those of us here who follow Jesus, it is what we are called to. And we get to be like Jesus. We get to show mercy where others go, why are you so kind to that person? I've got a friend um, who we have similar situations with our fathers, our, our, our biological fathers. And when I talk to my friend and I say, I'm I'm trying to work out what does it look like to continually show the mercy of God to my father who doesn't want a relationship with me. And she's like, why are you even asking that question? She says she's not a Christian and she's like, I don't get it. She's like, why are you even trying to show him mercy when he doesn't want anything to do with you? She's like, you just need to write him off, cut him off, have nothing to do with him. She uses some language I won't repeat in this context about him. You know, and I'm like, no, because I'm a Christian and Jesus has shown me such outrageous mercy. And I can forget how outrageous his mercy was to me. Because it's easy for us to get a bit like the Pharisees and think, well, you know, I'm doing all the right things. I read my Bible, I go to church, I um, open doors for people, even if they don't say thank you, Um, you know. I'm doing all the right things and I can easily forget that the mercy of Jesus that came to me is just as outrageous as the mercy of Jesus that comes to anyone else. And you know what? If we want to see the hopeless and the broken hearted, what we've been singing about, which isn't just for us, it's for the world outside us. If we want to see the debt ridden, the addicted, the abused and the abuser in our churches reconciled to God 
and reconciled to each other because that's what the gospel is. You know, the best baptism I've ever been to in my church is where um, a criminal who'd been in prison and a police officer who'd arrested him got baptised on the same day, side by side in church life. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. And, and it, should, it should shock us. And it should, we should think, you really, you're really saying the abused and the abuser side by side? It's hard. It's not easy, and I'm not being flippant about it, but it is the gospel. It is what we're called to. You know, if we want to see the broken in our churches, it will be messy, because it's messy when those who are troubled come to us. We so often expect people to come to Jesus and then be fixed overnight. Put your hand up if that happened to you. None of us. But so often we don't have the same patience with people that God has had with us. Well, of course we don't because we're not God. But it is what we're called to imitate. It is what we're called to be like. If you, if you want to see the brokenhearted in this church, it's going to mean you're going to see the rude and the cantankerous and the abused and the abuser coming. And it will take time to walk with them in a, in a journey where they become more and more aware of the mercy that they've been shown so that they might take it out to others. In um, Micah 6 verse 8, it says this. It says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, I was reading that a couple of years ago, and I thought, what a weird thing for God to say to his people. This is written to the people who already follow God, and he tells them to love mercy. You think, why does he need to tell his own people to love mercy? Surely of all the people in the world, we are those who most love the mercy of God. I do. I love the mercy of God that's been shown to me. I love it that the Bible says that God is rich in mercy because he has been to me. I love it that the Bible says that the mercy of God is new every morning. And by the way, I think the reason it says that is because I need it every day. I think I need fresh mercy from God every day. So why do we need to be told to... Love mercy. You know, I'm a big fan of it. Why wouldn't any of us who know Jesus be big fans of it? I think it's because God's requirement of his people to love mercy is that we're not just called to love the mercy that's shown to us. We're called to love the mercy that's shown to other people too. And, you know, there are loads of people in the Bible who should love the mercy of God, but don't. And let me just give you a few quick examples. Jonah. Many of you will know the story of Jonah. You know, he, God says to him, I want you to go and take a message to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah says, no thanks, and runs in the opposite direction. And then he's on a boat and a storm comes and all the people on the boat are like, we're going to die. And Jonah says, this is my fault. This is because I'm running away from God. And so that he says, throw me overboard and you'll be all right. So they do. And then he gets swallowed up by a big fish. And, you know, God could have just drowned Jonah. He could have, couldn't he? I mean, you know. God gave Jonah this call, which is a privilege, and Jonah went, no thanks, I'm going to run away and do something else. And yet God, in his mercy, got this big fish to swallow Jonah up, keep him alive in the fish until a few days later, and then for the fish to basically vomit him up. Sorry, there's no nice way to put that. Um, And God says, Jonah, you're still called to do the same thing. And Jonah says, "Okay, I'll go and do it. So Jonah goes and he says to the people of Nineveh, you know, 
God is about to judge you and they repent and they say, okay, what must we do? We don't want God to judge us. What we'll do it. What do we need to do? And they repent. And, you know, it says that Jonah was exceedingly displeased and angry. You know, Jonah has just been shown this astonishing mercy from God who has said, I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to save your life in this astonishing, uh, miraculous way. And yet the next minute, Jonah is saying to God, the reason I didn't want to come is because I knew you'd do this. You can read it in Jonah 4. He's, He's angry with God because he says, I knew you'd do this. I knew you'd relent and you'd show mercy. And you think, Jonah, how have you missed it? How have you missed it that this is exactly how God just treated you and now you don't like it because it's being applied to this people you don't like? And it's not just um, Jonah. We see it in the story of the prodigal son where the older brother is annoyed that the father has welcomed back the younger son. He doesn't want the father to show mercy to his younger to his younger brother. We see it even in the disciples, you know, um, two of the disciples are called by Jesus, the sons of thunder. What a nickname to be given by Jesus. I like to wonder if in for all eternity, whether they'll have that nickname or, and we'll all know them as the sons of thunder or whether it gets wiped out in kind of the new heavens and the new earth. Probably it gets wiped out and their sins aren't remembered. But, you know, these are guys who'd walk with Jesus. And then when this group of people don't want to follow Jesus, they're like, should we call down fire? You think. My, if I wrote the Bible, my version would be Jesus slapped his forehead and went, oh, my goodness, what is wrong with you guys? How are you not getting it? Like, you've been with me. When have we called down fire? When, when have you seen me do that? Haven't we been showing mercy to people? And the disciples, you can imagine, kind of being like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, all right. We wanted to, you know, rain down fire. And the Pharisees, you know. As we've seen in this passage, they're outraged that Jesus befriended tax collectors and sinners. And I've said the Pharisees are actually those who wanted to follow God. Actually, that's what they were about. With That's just a few examples in the Bible. There are more examples. But with that number of people alone in the Bible who didn't love the mercy of God when it was shown to others, I think there's a question for us to ask ourselves. Do I love the mercy of God when it is shown to other people because you know it's possible for us to have all the external signs of religion and for our hearts to be hardened to those that God is wanting us to be soft towards and wanting us to have mercy and compassion towards I became a Christian when I was 15 from um, a very working class family and I became a Christian into a very middle class church and I did not know how to behave Um, I still don't in many ways, but I have learned how to imitate nice, polite, middle-class Christians. And you know what? There's a danger there because it's very easy. It was, I found it easy to learn how to copy people's behaviour so that I could have all the external signs of being a nice, polite, middle-class Christian. It's possible to do that without ever having your heart radically changed. And actually to the point where you care about the people that God cares about. Jesus said, I came not for the righteous, but for sinners. And what he's not saying here, he's not saying some people don't need me. What he's saying is, I've come for those who know they need a saviour. Actually, the first step to getting saved is knowing your need of a (laughs) saviour. 
And it's very easy for us to forget how desperately we needed a saviour. And there are people that we don't like or we don't trust or we just feel uncomfortable around because we don't know what to do. We don't know what to talk to them about. But actually, Jesus is saying they're the very people that I've come for. The very people that society would tell you you should write off. People on benefits who are called scroungers and skivers. Do you know what? Actually, you know, we could get into a whole thing about are they really scroungers and skivers or is that just a media narrative that we're told to pit us against them? Even if they are scroungers and skivers, God loves them. They are made in his image and his mercy is for them. People who come to our country because they want health, the health care that we enjoy. We can write them off, say, that's not okay. You shouldn't come here for that reason. You know, which of us, if we um, lived in a country and we had kids who were sick and we couldn't afford health care for them, wouldn't move to another country where we could get health care for our kids? Yet so often we don't put ourselves in that position of thinking through why someone might do that. I'm not trying to be um, political, but I am trying to be provocative because I think some of the very people God is bringing to us are those that we might naturally think, I don't, I don't agree with what you're doing. I don't agree with your behavior. I don't agree with your attitude. Would well, you know what? God, God didn't agree with our behavior. God didn't agree with our attitude. Sometimes he still doesn't quite a lot of the time, I'm sure. We can so easily slip into this position where we love the mercy that God has shown to us, but we find it irritating that he would show it to certain other groups of people. And I think the reason we find it irritating is because we so often do what society does, which is we look at someone's behaviour and we judge on that basis whether they deserve our help or not. But if you are a Christian here, if you are a follower of Jesus... You are not called to do that because God didn't do it to us. God's starting place is completely different. In God's kingdom, his mercy and his compassion is never based on the recipient. It's always based on the giver. And, you know, Jesus said this in Luke 6, verse 36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. And that verse comes right after the verse where it says that the most high is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. We are called to be merciful just as our Father in heaven is merciful. You know, we've been shown tremendous mercy. Jesus has taken our sins and nailed it to the cross. He died for us while we were still enemies. Let's not forget how outrageous that is. That the King of kings and the Lord of lords hung on a cross for us while we were his enemies Not while we were saying, please save me. While we were saying, who do you think you are? He laid down his life despite all our sin. And the Bible says he's rich in mercy. John Piper says this, mercy is no trifle. It is one of the weightiest matters of life. And we are called to be a merciful people. We are called to be those who rush towards the people that society runs away from. I'd love to pray for us, if that's okay. I think if, if, 
I know in my own heart that I so often run away from mercy instead of running towards it. And if you feel like this morning, do you know what? I know I need to be more merciful. I know there are people, whether it's in your own life or groups of people, who I need to extend the amazing mercy of Jesus towards. I wonder if you'd just stand. Whatever way you engage with God, whether it's lifting your hands, whether it's kneeling, whether whatever way you find it easiest to receive from God, why don't you do that now? Jesus, we are so grateful that you have shown us mercy. We are. Please remind us of this outrageous, scandalous, radical mercy that we have been shown. Please help us to grasp it more fully that we might be those who bring mercy where others don't. Thank you that we have this amazing privilege that we get to be the mercy bringers. We get to be those who carry your compassion where others have run out of it. God, would you help us? Would you do something in our hearts this morning where you align them more closely with yours? Thank you for this amazing call. Jesus, you said, be merciful just as your father is merciful. That means it's possible. That means it's something we get the privilege of doing. We get to reflect you to those around us. Would you help us, God, to do it? Make us mercy bringers, God, I pray. Work in our hearts. Help us. Even this week, would you give each one of us opportunity to bring mercy to someone we might previously have ignored or just got annoyed with or irritated by? Help us, God, to do this. We need your help. We can't do it on our own. We need your Holy Spirit. So we pray, help us and give us opportunity to be those who reflect your mercy to those around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.